Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Uh, it is Wednesday morning, and I just got done chatting with former Washington head coach Jay Gruden uh, about where things are with the Washington Commanders after that tough loss Sunday at FedEx Field against the Philadelphia Eagles. Knowing Jay, of course, is a, not only a former head coach, but an offensive guy. I gave him some uh, homework in terms of watching uh, back the offense, particularly those nine sacks, the quarterback pressures, and what else he just generally saw out of Carson Wentz and the line. So I got Jay's take on that. He had some definitely some candid things to say. Also, I brought up his famous, you know, guard uh, quote uh, back in the day about how that, you know, that's one of the only two first round picks he had had at that point. And relative to, how Washington, not that they moved on from Brandon Sheriff, but what they chose as a replacement plan and, um, you know, sort of the, you know, people kind of dismissed the guards, which is, we understand it relative to other positions, but maybe it's coming back to bite Washington a little bit. Uh, we also, of course, got to look, look ahead to the Dallas game and got his view on that, how to help the line, things to do to try to slow down Micah Parsons, uh, Cooper Rush, et cetera. So a really fun, insightful conversation with Jay Gruden that we'll get to in just a moment. Of course, if you are uh, just kind of finding us here, and if you haven't yet, I encourage you to subscribe to the Standard Room Only podcast, iTunes, Spotify. You can listen to it ad-free on the athletic now in terms of um writing of course make sure you go subscribe to the athletic as well click on one of my articles and you can do that i had a recap of sunday's game as well as some notes on a monday uh based off of what ron rivera told uh told us uh regarding this offense still lacks an identity um after three weeks, kind of curious to, to hear that for sure uh so you can go check that out of course also david aldridge um wrote a column after the game and you know you can get david and everybody else at the athletic when you subscribe as well um and of course hit me up on twitter at ben standing i did uh, appreciate everybody who chimed in uh i did a, my podcast on sunday with grant paulson but i asked impromptu for a bunch for twitter comments questions and you everybody delivered a lot of great stuff grant and i used a bunch of them the other day so you can check that out as well and i appreciate everybody for doing doing that um before i get to jay i just you know wanted to get to a couple quick things here um you know i mentioned to jay that you know his guard comment as i said and, and again if you're sort of building a team from scratch guard is going to be one of the lower rated positions on a team right or just the interior line probably in general but guard i think in particular um in terms of where you spend your money right and and, and jay's point that he'll get made is like you can kind of find replacements without a big drop off, and that's fair. But one one thing that teams like to people like to do or say that teams should do is don't spend a first or second round pick on a guard. Do it in the later rounds, in the middle to later rounds. And if you look at Washington under this regime, they have drafted a couple of interior offensive linemen in those middle rounds. Right? They took Sadiq Charles in the fourth round of the twenty twenty draft. They took Keith Ishmael in the fifth round of the 2021 draft. Sorry, I'm sorry. They took Ishmael in the same draft in the fifth round. And when you make those picks, right, like we talk about how you, you got to have your first round picks hits, and et cetera, and we get all that. 
But if you're saying simultaneously that it's okay to wait on interior offensive linemen into the middle to later rounds, that's where you can find them. Well, then they do need to hit more than just your standard, hey, we're kind of taking a bit of a crapshoot the further we get down the draft. Well, if you look at where Washington is at right now, when you're drafting Sadiq Charles in the fourth round, you think that's supposed to work to at least be a starter. I don't think that's, I mean, he obviously is not being viewed as one in their mind, right? I mean, he's a young, athletic, powerful guy that they're not using while they're using Trey Turner and Andrew Norwell. This offseason, during training camp, I should say, they were trying Sadiq Charles even at center. He played on some level of practice at all five positions. And that's great versatility. And we've heard Ron Rivera talk a lot about position flexibility. But to an extent, if you're making a guy focus on position flexibility more than being the right guard or whatever, that kind of says something. So Sadiq Charles has not developed into that. Now, I'm not putting that on the feet of John Matzkow. The player has to do his own thing to, to help that cause as well. But and, and by the way, Keith Ishmael, he doesn't live here anymore, right? So those are two guys who you could have, at the time they made those picks, say that they would be starting by now or at least in the case of Ishmael, be the guy you would use when Chase Ruye is hurt and that type of deal. And they're not there. So I just mentioned all this to say that I think John Matzka is a very good offensive line coach. His reputation is what it is. But like when we talk about it in Matzka, we trust, which is like, you know, something I heard a lot of people kind of say um, over the course of this offseason. It's like, ah, no big deal. Sheriff's gone, whatever. Whoever comes in will be fine. You know, at some point, maybe that works with one player. But when you have to have multiple players have to make adjustments and you have to really coach them up, so to speak, there may be only so much you can do. And you can't hide everybody on the, on the line. Maybe you can hide one guy, but you can't hide two and three. And, you know, that Sadiq Charles has not developed into something more than he's shown. That Keith Ishmael doesn't even play here anymore. You know, I think we have to note that in the in this discussion of what, what's wrong with the offensive line. I mean, I, I'm no line expert, but I didn't see a lot out of Trey Turner or Andrew Norwell rewatching the tape that got me excited. And of course, this was not as Grant and I talked about the other day. You know, this was one of those preseason or offseason questions that unfortunately is looking like like it's playing out the way a lot of us fear that they are not particularly um, strong at those spots. And I said this on the first podcast or on the podcast of Sunday with Grant, that it's not like the front office did some sort of like a deep dive scouting situation to come up with the best offensive lineman that fit this system. Right. Or that, you know, it's not, it wasn't a money ball circumstance where they said, Hey, we think for, you know, for the money we have to pay these players, we'll get, you know, maximum production etc they took two guys that they had in carolina and i'm not saying norwell and trey turner you know are completely uh you know without talent of course that's not the case but you know this is all it all comes together right it's not just that those guys struggled the other day and they definitely did it's not that they're you know why did you have to go you know why did they pick two carolina guys rather than perhaps find others out there who make some sense but you had to do something because Sadiq Charles has not developed to this point to be able to go in and play for them. If they do make a switch, right? Let's just think about this out, out loud a little bit. I mentioned the other day on the podcast, could you make a radical switch 
and take Sam Cosby, who some people think is better as a guard. And when I say some people, I mean like scouts coming into that draft and even people now. Move Cosby to guard, put Cornelius Lucas at right tackle. He's a, He's been very solid whenever he's played. Put your best five guys out there and move forward. You could take Nick Martin, who they just recently signed. He's a veteran center. He was available, though, so take that for what it's worth. Nick Martin, move him to the starting center, move Schweitzer to guard. That that could that could be a thing. But I don't know that like Sadiq Charles moving him to guard is 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 a thing. And you know, earlier in this preseason, or sorry, let me back up. Earlier in training camp, when all those injuries started to happen, and we kept reporting that, hey, the defensive line is really getting the better of the offensive line. See, Sadiq Charles was one of those guys in there, and that was one of the weak spots. So I just think keep all that in mind. When we discuss this team, it isn't just what is happening today, but how did we get to this point? And I do think that's important. And by the way, as we know, Ron Rivera isn't just the coach. He is in charge of personnel. He is overseeing personnel, at least. So, you know, all this factors in uh, here for sure. Um, All right, let me get to my conversation with Jay. Beyond the offensive line, as I said, we talked about a bunch of other things. He had Kendall Fuller, of course, here uh, when Kendall Fuller came into the league. And Kendall Fuller was a slot guy. They moved him, though, here to the outside. He played better last year on the outside, I think, and they they thought as well, which put Benjamin St. Juice in the slot. But we saw this week, Benjamin St. Juice had a pretty good game on the outside. Doesn't make any sense to to switch that to some degree. Of course, what about William Jackson? Not the back injury. We'll find out today from Ron Rivera, I guess, if we have a, you know, well, at least we'll start to get a feel, perhaps, of whether where William Jackson's status is for this week. But, um, you know, it doesn't change that he's been probably the weaker of the two between him and Fuller. Uh, and, ha- you know, it's an interesting dynamic there as well. This is another example where, you know, it, like that's an example where you're trying to get your best players on the field and maybe perhaps not putting them in the best space to maximize them. But it's difficult if you think Fuller is better on the outside. You got to do something with St. Juice. But, you know, <laughs> these are the types of questions that this coaching staff needs to consider. Presumably they have. Uh, and uh, we'll see what what they come up with going into a da- uh, into Dallas week. And uh, look, the Cowboys' defense looked ferocious on Monday night against the Giants. I mean, they put even more pressure on Daniel Jones than Philadelphia put on Carson Wentz, which is saying something. So I think everybody is a little nervous about what's going to happen this week uh, when Dallas's defense faces that Washington offensive line and Carson Wentz. Um, all right, let's get to all of that and more. We're talking with Jay Gruden. Excited for you guys to hear this. Let's do it here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right. Uh, as promised, and as he does every week here on the podcast, uh, former Washington head coach Jay Gruden is joining me here. Uh, Jay, always appreciate the time. How was I, I didn't ask you as we were just chatting. Did you do the uh, sports bar again on Sunday? Did you have a uh, did you return to the uh, to, to, to your, your now go to scene? I sure did. Yes. See, uh, very quiet there. I get to watch all the games, have a few chicken wings, had a good time with my kids. Is it a, is it a one to four situation? Or are you staying like all day? It was one to seven. It was uh it was an all day affair. It was, you go right through lunch, right into dinner. It's nice. Have a couple snacks. You, you gain about 26 pounds in one setting. Well, I was gonna say, if you're there for six hours, you can't be just having chicken wings. Do you, how do you pay, how do you like plan that out? Do you, do you, do you script your meals? Do you have like, okay, this is what I'm doing in the one o'clock hour, knowing I'm going to get like something better else later. Like, how do you script that your, uh, 
eat your sports start, bar. You always meal. start with a snack, and then you go to a lunch, try to get a healthy lunch. Like I got the stir fry, and then you go to another snack, and then you try to have a very light dinner when you get home. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well. Uh, look. I. 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 Uh, many of my favorite memories have have been at a sports bar watching games for six hours. So I'm. I'm legit jealous that this is where you're at these days. So good for you. Um. Wow. So the the uh, the Washington Commanders. Um. If we had come in here just to talk about losing two games in a row, you know, that happens. But the the Super Bowl teams will will lose two games in a row. But to lose two games in a row in which you get blown out in the first half, your offense can't score a point. Um, and in this game, there was no second half comeback the way there was in, in Detroit, or at least an attempted rally. There was just kind of a, you know, thorough thrashing throughout. This was not a not a good one. How, how, did, how did your, what was your vibe uh, coming out of this game? Yeah, the same. You know, I think uh, when you get dominated on both sides of the ball, line of scrimmage-wise, you're not going to have much of a chance. And uh, that's what happened. Philadelphia really came out strong with their front four, um, forced Carson into some third down and longs, and then uh, nothing seemed to work. They couldn't get guys open. They couldn't protect. uh, Not very good running the football. And that's the recipe for disaster, obviously. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know if you can't run the ball and you can't protect, you got no chance to score. And they didn't score. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, and obviously, you know, the topic of the day is the the protection for Wentz, his his uh factoring into what went wrong there from his some of his previous um concerns with with just how he, his pocket presence and things like that. Um, and that's where I kind of wanted to to talk to you and you know sent you some some clips. I know you did some film work on this. Just give me your overview. Nine sacks, I think like 16 or 17 pressures, depending on which stats site you look at. What stood out to you broadly? And then we'll get into some of the individual plays. What stood out to you broadly on those, uh, on the, all that pass pressure? Well, broadly, it was, it was somebody different every time, both for Philadelphia getting pressure, whether it was Brandon Graham or Hargrave or Josh Sweat or Fletcher Cox or Hassan Reddick. They all took turns, and it took turns on different people. You can't just say, hey, it was our left tackle or just our right tackle. It was all five of those guys, uh, and, and that's a problem. And sometimes Carson held the ball too long because he had to. He was waiting on crossing routes to develop, which never did develop, and he was forced to hold the ball and take sacks. Uh, the one thing that I would say is you'd like to see Carson step up from time to time and maybe push the ball and, and run for five or six yards. But when you're in third and five, here's their sacks. Third and five, second and 16, third and five, second and six, third and 10, second and 12, fourth and 12, second and 10. He had one sack on first and 10 where they tried to play action pass. Uh, Darius Slay sat on the route. He had nowhere to go, and the right guard got bull rushed right into him. There's no quarterback in the world that would escape that one. So uh, it's tough to put your finger on one thing. Routes weren't developing down the field quick enough. Carson wouldn't get the ball out of his hands because he couldn't a lot of times, and the pass protection was poor. They have the players they have. There's nothing you can really do about that. You know, anybody you pick up off the street at this point is just going to be a, you know, a, a, a fill in. You know, probably nothing better than you have on your practice squad or things like that. I mean, I guess there's some bets, but you know what I mean. So based on that, well, actually, let me let me go back. Carson Wentz, he's not a rookie. You knew what he was, what his issues were in terms of um, being in the pocket. That he can get a bit jittery when the pass rush pressure comes that his footwork can seem to get um, a bit off when that starts to happen that he holds the ball a while the Eagles talked about this that they knew you know guys like Brandon Graham who played him before 
or sorry, were his teammates before, knew that could happen. And if it did, they would be able to get some hits. So when you're going into an offseason and you know you have this guy, what? How much do you plan? How do you try to plan to deal with that? Or because that doesn't, that's to me a big question about this is like their plan going in as to how to help Carson Wentz. Yeah, that's a tough issue to uh, overcome. You know, if the quarterback holds the ball too long, um, you're going to have problems, especially if you don't have the offensive lineman to protect. You know, you give up Trent Williams for a third round draft pick and uh, you replace him with somebody else that's not quite as good, obviously. So <laughs> there's issues personnel wise, but. You know, there's some things you have to do to protect them. You have to maybe uh, keep an extra guy in in protection. You might have to try to some quicker element-type routes. You know, a lot of these crossing routes, you're expecting man-to-man. You get zoned. You get stuck holding the ball, and you're waiting for guys to get open, and they don't get open. You get sacked. Um, so quicker element throws would help. Obviously, the running game will help. Uh, some play actions with some max protection in there would help a little bit. Uh, getting them outside the pocket would help. Uh, but guys got to get open. Guys still have to come out and protect because it's not going to get any easier next week against the Cowboys. Uh, you have to challenge these guys to get better. Uh, they do have the skill to get better. They have a skill outside to get open quicker. Um, so they just have to do it. Yeah. You, you know what? I, uh, oh, I, I meant to ask. This may be a, the, an incredibly stupid question, so feel free to mock me. There's a statistic of time to throw. Is that statistic more about the offensive line's protection or is it more about how quickly the quarterback is getting rid of the ball? It's more about how quickly the past concepts that you're calling, you got to have concepts that have people getting open and looking for the ball a little bit quicker than what's happening right now on some of these plays where you got sacked on. Uh, So when you're running shallow cross with pick routes and they're playing zone coverage and passing everything off and there's nobody there, uh, there's nothing the quarterback can do except push up and try to run for five or six yards. Um, you know, there's some elements where you want man beaters and zone beaters, and unfortunately they're calling man beaters and getting zone and calling zone beaters and getting man. So uh, just uh, it was just a tough outing for the play caller, for the execution, for a little bit of everything. So, you know, they just got to do a better job all around. Play callers got to be better. The line's got to be better. Quarterback's got to be better. Receiver's got to be better. Tight end's got to be way better. And, uh and they got to just move forward. They're only one and two, but they just got to get better all across the board. Um, I we, we discussed before the show about coming about uh, you taking a look at the sacks. I don't think I asked you to say put blame on somebody uh, on on a position or whatever for each one. You mentioned though that uh, you know there were, it, it, the several uh, the entire offensive line had some issues here and there. Uh, there's been some notion this uh, since the game about how much the sacks were on Wentz versus how much were on the line. Could you, from your view, can you tell or would would, ha- would you grade like how many of those sacks are on Wentz versus how many of them are on the line? I don't think you can do it like that. I think there's a lot of issues. Sometimes if it's third down and long, you want your quarterback to try to hold the ball as long as he can to try to get the first down instead of just checking it down. There's a couple times on third down and long and fourth and long, he had guys open, but they were been tackled for a gain of five or six. You don't want that either. You know, so sometimes you have to try to force the issue. Uh, the first and 10 one that I mentioned, he, that was no chance that he had the second and sixth one. He, he had nobody open. He tried to push up and, and ball got knocked out of his hand. So um, the most important thing when you're trying to protect your quarterback is you got to do better on first down and the plays that are there, you got to complete them. You got to get the ball out. You got to have second and medium, second and short to make the defense defend everything, not just pin their heels back and rush the passer. That's what happened last week. Philadelphia had so many known passing situations that, 
Fletcher Cox, Hassan Reddick, these guys who just had their hands in the dirt and they were coming hard. And that's hard for offensive linemen. That's hard for quarterbacks. That's hard for offensive coordinators. They just got to do better on first down and they got to keep the games close uh, so they can have the threat of running the ball. Um, one sack in particular, the, the fifth sack, it's second and six from Washington's 29. Uh, this is the one where Carson Wentz gets hit and fumbled. Uh, he drops back. Pressure's coming from all around him. He then moves up into the pocket, and ultimately Brandon Graham comes from behind, knocks him uh, knocks him down, the ball comes loose, etc. On the all-22, you can see that the play design down the field is for Terry McLaurin to break open to the right. They have two receivers on the right. Um, McLaurin is the inside of the two. He, goes, he basically does a down and out. Uh, the other receiver just runs past him, and McLaurin is definitely open, would have been a 25-yard gain or what have you. And Wentz is looking in that direction. Clearly, he doesn't have he, he can't get there, whether it's the time or he just doesn't think he, he can't see it or whatever. But right underneath him are two uh, two receivers. One is Gibson, and I forget who the other one is. I think it was Ar- Armani Rogers at tight end. They are open underneath. At what point do you as the play caller or the coach say to the quarterback, I know we want you to go to that guy down there, but you've got to have a, a clock in your head that says, okay, this there's chaos around me. That's why we have the two guys underneath. At what point does that have to click in for him? Or do you, I don't know if you recall that play specifically, if you if you remember seeing kind of what unfolded there. Yeah, any three-level throw, obviously you're going high to low first. You're looking for your deep shot first. If they're playing zone coverage, you're going right to Terry McLaurin. If they get underneath them, then you're going right to the back. It's got to happen fast. And you're exactly right. And I think that was Carson's worst sack, actually. Uh, that's one where he should have either checked it down or pushed up and ran the ball because he did feel the pressure. When you feel the pressure and you try to buy time uh, and you're not protecting the ball, guys are chasing you and you got to have that feel. You got to have that clock in your head. You got to get that ball out or you got to tuck it and run it. One or the other. You can't just stand there and wait for these guys to strip sack you. Uh, That was his worst sack in my opinion. There's a couple that were uh, not his fault. There's a couple that he had nobody open. Um, but, and there's a couple that, uh, guys just beat the tackle so fast that he had no chance either. So, but that in, in particular sack, you're absolutely right. That was definitely on Carson. Um, you know, we talk all the time, you know, fans or anybody will say, come on, you got coaching. Where's the coaching? Where's the coaching? Right. There's a point for you as for any coach where you're talking to a player, you're trying to give them the best information, but ultimately it's going to come down to them. You mentioned that feel in the pocket, you, you know, it's not like, you know, Russell Wilson at his peak, Pete Carroll is telling him how to evade the pass rush pressure. He it's just something inane, instinctive with him. I mean, inane, instinctive with him to 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 do that or whomever these players are. Right? I mean, ultimately, there's only so much you could do about that. Wentz has to either has that feel or he kind of doesn't. Yeah, instincts are hard to coach. Really, <laughs> yeah. you can't you can't prepare for every type of pass rush and every type of pressure that you're going to see in the course of a game. You have to rely on your quarterback who's been playing for a while, a veteran type quarterback to bail you out of some of those key situations, whether it is throw the ball away, throw the ball away, uh, whether it's a scramble for a first down buy time and uh, make an off schedule play. Can't coach that. That's why the best teams right now have the best at that position that can do that consistently. The Josh Allen, the the Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, the, the Lamar Jackson, these guys are consistently bailing out their coordinator for bad plays or bailing out their offensive lineman for poor pass protection. So it goes hand in hand. You know, you got to have some good protection, but you got to have a quarterback that has the idea of, hey, this time for me to make a play, I got to escape. I got to run. I got to buy time. I got to throw the ball out of bounds. Whatever I got to do, I got to do. But I can't take nine sacks in a game ever. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so let me ask you about the interior part of the offensive line. This game, because of Chase Ruiz's injury and offseason changes that they made, they had three different players at the guard and center uh, than they did last year. Uh, no, you know, two of the, the two guards weren't here, and Wes Schweitzer, you know, wasn't typically playing center a ton. Um, what did you notice with those three in particular, both in terms of just their individual play, but also that communication that needs to happen? We always hear that the offensive line is a group that like really needs to play together the most to have a feel for each other and, and who's picking up what. What did you kind of see from from that group? Because to me, that seemed to be the weakest part of the line for sure. Well, to me, it looks like they had a hat on a hat, which is a good thing. It's just the hats on the Eagle side were a little bit better than the hats on the commander side. That's 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 tough to deal with. The communication looked fine. It didn't look like they were confused or who to block. Most of the pressure was coming from four guys anyway. So they had a hat on a hat. Um, in the run game, they had a couple of issues. They've misdiagnosed, but it looked like to me that Philadelphia was lining up with an extra guy in the box begging uh, Washington to throw the ball and not allowing them to run it. Uh, some of the fronts that they gave Washington on early downs, especially in 11 personnel, uh, they were outnumbered. It was going to be hard to run the ball, so they kind of were forcing them to throw it. And they took away a lot of the quick game and, and really did a good job. When you have two good corners like they do at Philadelphia, you can be a little bit more aggressive up front start stopping the run that's why philly's defense moving forward i think will be as good as anybody so uh the good thing is they did play one of the best defenses in the league um unfortunately they just couldn't get it done but i think the offensive alignment they just have to bear down and, and continue to work and the coordinator and the quarterback can help them out a lot as well um you, know, you mentioned the, the corners uh in re-watching the game it did seem like there were several of those sacks where I'm watching Washington run crossing patterns or just whatever they were doing. And I didn't see people like open, open. I mean, I'm sure there there's, there's level of open in terms of like an NFL quarterback and squeeze a ball in to a tight space, but there weren't guys like open. It looked like Philly did a pretty good job in covering as well. So it's not just that Washington line or Wentz had issues like the defense didn't give them a ton on some of those plays either. It looked like. Yeah, exactly. You look at the first third and five sack, you know, I think, Philly was or uh, Washington expect a man to man. They did a crossing route, pick route, and they played zone underneath and they passed everything off. There's nobody there. You know, that's an instance where when you feel when you have a zone beater and when you have a man beater and they get zone, you have to push up as a quarterback. Somebody has to sit it down into a zone and the ball has to go there now and 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 live to fight another day. Uh, that didn't happen. Unfortunately, that pressure got there too fast, but that happened quite a bit in the game. Philly did a great job in coverage, both in their man co coverages and their zone coverages and disguising their coverages. Um, to go back to the, to the offensive line, um, you said that basically Philly just had better players, which that's going to happen sometimes. Um, Andrew Norwell and Trey Turner are guys who have been at a pro bowl level in this league, but it's been a few years down the road. Um, Trey Turner missed pretty much almost all of training camp with a quad injury. Norwell missed a couple of days, but mostly played. Uh, to me, they did not look up to snuff in this in this game. Easy for me to say, and I wouldn't say it to their face. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, I, I'm just curious your thoughts on on those guys, and then also the idea of they brought these two guys in because it largely they they had played for Rivera previously, and we've here talked a lot about Rivera bringing him in his Carolina guys. Um, it's not so much that they're not Brandon Scherf, but are they? up the snuff what, what, what do you kind of think about those two guys kind of where they are in their career 
Well, I think when you look at the line in general against Philadelphia and Detroit the last two weeks, I don't know if you can say anybody's up to snuff. I mean, you're talking about zero points in the first half in both games. I mean, that's a big thing to say, zero. Zero's a hell of a number to overcome. So you can't yeah. just point your finger at those guys. It's everybody. I think the tight end presence has got to get better, a lot better. I think uh, the left tackle's got to play better. The right tackle's got to play better. The quarterback's got to play better. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think uh, – when you're talking about zero, you're talking about a total team effort, uh, coaching, player. Um, fortunately, Washington does have the skill to uh, get better, uh, especially on the outside and at running back. Um, hopefully, Logan Thomas can make his presence felt a little bit uh, moving forward. So they're going to have to step up somehow because this is what the players that they have, and that's what they're going to have to do. Um, I, 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 of course, as we were talking all this week, a lot of us about the guard play, it reminds us, right, reminded me, of course, about one quote you had um, at one point when you said uh, uh, during some a losing spell and you said that, quote, um, we're getting there, but we had, what, two first round picks since I've been here. One of them hasn't played it down or played one game, meaning Josh Dodson. The other and then you said, and the other one is a guard and you you put a real emphasis <laughs> on on guard. And I, I, that that's always stood out to us. And clearly guard is a position where if you rank all the spots, it's not one you feel, team feel they need compelled to spend money on. But for this team, they did the last few years on Sheriff, even on Eric Flowers to some extent. And now they went this other way and it feels like it's sort of not paying off by going cheaper. We'll say there, but anyway, it just kind of reminded me of your, uh, of, of that quote of yours. Yeah. You know, I love Brandon though. And, you know, when you have Brandon on your team, you feel pretty good because he's great getting out in space in the screen game. He's the best there is. He's one of the best guards in the league. So I, I was happy. With that. I, I didn't mean to any disrespect towards Brandon. I love Brandon. Sure. Everybody knows. But, uh, but you're right. You know, I, I just think there's so many other positions that uh, uh, I think guard is probably the one position that if you lose a guard, you can fill a guy in a guard and you won't be totally dismantled as a team. Right. Like, back or maybe your star receiver or maybe your star defensive end you know or whatever it might be or star corner um the level of play that drops off from a guard to another guard probably isn't as significant as most positions that was all i was saying no i hear you um all right so just we'll, we'll tie up this thing here so now uh, and move to some other spots from this game but now that you've seen the last two weeks and this week in particular and knowing that dallas is coming up and we just saw they put an even a more ferocious pass rush on the Giants than the Eagles did to Washington. What would your plan be? You know, is there, I mean, I know, I don't know how familiar you are with all Washington's backup linemen, but like, is there a switch there? Is it more two tight ends? You mentioned they needed to be better, but in theory, going multiple tight ends helps your blocking, but that would also mean removing one of those receivers off the field more. Uh, what, what would your, what would your plan of action be? to help help this situation, especially knowing that Dallas is coming in. Well, you're exactly right. Uh, I always like to add two or three tight ends sometimes, but we had the guys, when we were really good, we were able to put in Jordan Reed. Uh, obviously, we had uh, Vernon Davis and sometimes either Sprinkle or Logan Paulson or whoever it was. Some of those two and three tight ends, that's were pretty good for us. Uh, you know, that's one way to relegate the pass rush. You can't rush the passer when you're in three tight end sets because you got to defend the run and then the play action is off of it. You get good protection, but you only have one receiver out there and that takes away. And if you don't have three tight ends that are effectively uh, effective in blocking, then you don't want to do that either. So, you know, if they're relegated to an 11 personnel team, which they are, then they got to get better at the tight end at the point of attack and blocking. That's for sure. That's one thing they got to do. They got to be able to run the ball. 
uh, under center and shotgun, uh, get the ball out of the hands. They got to do some screens, some release screens with the receiver screens. Um, and then some quicker passes. There's some choice routes. There's some, uh, you know, slant flat combinations that they might be able to do to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands um, on first and second down. But the most important thing is to avoid third down and six plus third and five, third and four, third and three. Now there are a lot of things you can do to get the ball out of the hands of the quarterback quickly. Still third and six plus you'll see a high dose of Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence in your lap. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt. Um, all right. So to, to broaden this out. So uh, obviously the strength of this offense and maybe this whole team is those three receivers, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dotson. Um, McLaurin in particular, they have been very slow to get him the ball. The first game, he didn't get his first catch until the second quarter. And the last two games, he didn't get his first catch into the third quarter. Now, obviously, that's not Scott Turner's plan. <laughs> his plan is to get Terry McLaurin the ball, and yet it's not happening. And it does seem like when I watch, maybe this is just like what every fan or every observer thinks. I watch other teams who have a dominant receiver no matter who's at quarterback, and they seemingly get that person the ball, right? But yet they're struggling to do that. As a guy who's an offensive mind, like what's the idea to, I've got to get this guy the ball. I don't want to force it, but I got to get him the ball. And then and it's not happening. What, what do you have to do to get this guy the ball? Well, Terry's a little different animal. You know, I, I mentioned before that uh, the way people get like guys like Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson, these guys, the ball, they, they can line up all over the place and run all the choice routes. And I'm talking about the option routes and, and, and put them in the backfield. Terry's more of a vertical stem guy. He's more of a first level, take the top off. Uh, obviously, uh, more of a vertical guy running the hitches, the slants, the the curls, the, the posts, the daggers, things of that nature. He's not a guy that you really want to put out in the slot and do option routes. That's more where Dotson's got to find his work. Samuel's got to do his job. Even Logan Thomas has got to do his work with Terry taking the top off. And if you get single high, you throw it to Terry. And if you get zone, you work the option route. Uh, those are things that uh, I really like. But Terry, uh, there are going to be some games where he will get a uh, little bit of catches uh, because of his outside presence and he can play cover two. Uh, running the ball will sure help. And then if you can run the ball, the play actions versus single high, that's where Terry will do all his damage. Um, obviously, you, you like Terry. Everybody likes Terry. Heck of a player. I think everybody was happy here that they kept him. But there's always been this question of, is he a, 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 a wide receiver one type of player? It sounds to me like what you're kind of saying is just based on what he does, that maybe he kind of isn't. That if you if you only can do certain things, that maybe you're not that guy is that in terms of like how you're like building a, a, a roster is that a fair way to, to to state that oh i think there's a lot of receivers that are very similar to terry that are wide receiver ones you know what i mean i think uh the his 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 quality is a great quality to have the vertical speed threat that he has his hands his toughness uh, going across the middle doing all those things you know there's certain things that certain receivers are better at than others I think it, uh, if you're talking about the things that Cooper Cup does on the inside, uh, that's not Terry's game. Terry's more of a vertical stem guy, you know, so it's harder to get him the ball in those situations. Uh, however, uh, the, the, the element with those option routes, if you start clamping down on those option routes, then that's where the vertical stem guy will get you. That's how uh, other guys will catch the ball. So um, he's a very important cog to have in your offense. 
speed, toughness is very important. Now you can mix that up with some guys running the option routes underneath with, you know, Dotson and Logan Thomas and all those guys. They just got to get better at doing that, and, and the quarterback's got to get better at recognizing them and getting them the ball. Um, okay, l- let me switch to the other side of the ball. Uh, not a ton of positives, but, I, you know, the first three drives, Eagles punt twice and are held to a field goal. If the, if, they, if the defense had gotten any help from the offense and, you know, be able to rest up a little bit, you know, maybe they're not uh, getting, you know, sort of torched the rest of the first half. We saw we sort of saw the same thing happen last week. But I thought one of the positives for the defense was the play of Benjamin St. Juiced on the outside. Um, you know, he had to step out. He had to move from the slot to the outside with William Jackson out. I'm just curious to whatever degree you were sort of noticing him. What did you like about him in this particular game? Oh, he did good. You know, being able to move inside, outside, uh, short notice was, was good. You know, the one thing that you saw Philadelphia do that Washington didn't do is Jalen Hurts gave Devontae a couple opportunities to make some plays on the ball. You know, and we talk about Terry and his lack of targets and all that stuff. Sometimes as a quarterback, you have to give your receiver an opportunity to make a play down the field. And uh, Devontae did that. He was covered, but threw the ball up, and he made some spectacular plays in traffic. And sometimes you got to take that risk on first and second down uh, with your key player like that. That's what they did. I think uh, defense played well overall. You know, they gave up a lot of yards passing, but some of those guys were covered, and and they just got moss, so to speak. Um, but overall, you know, when you're trailing twenty-two to nothing, twenty-seven to nothing, eighteen, it's very hard on a defense because now you're defending the entire playbook where. Vice versa, Washington's behind 22 to nothing, and Philadelphia's just rushing a passer every time. So moving forward, they got to keep games close. Defense has got to find ways to get turnovers and give the give Washington's offense some short field opportunities uh, to get some points to stay in games. Yeah, Washington's defense only has has one turnover this year. I think that's the, the worst in the league. Their uh, turnover margin is minus four, which I think is like 30th or 31st in the league at this point. Um are there plays? I, obviously, when you scheme a play, you're scheming it to for the receiver to be open by 20 yards. But like, are there like jump ball plays where like you're like, okay, we just need to get the ball over to, to especially when you're getting pass rush pressure, like way Wentz is, where you just say we just want McLaurin one on one and the quarterback to throw it up because we believe our receiver is going to win that battle wherever the ball is. Are there play calls you would just make for something there like are- that? There are certain issues where you have that opportunity where it's one-on-one and the safety's not over the top that, yeah, you got to take an opportunity every now and then. Opportunity balls are huge in the NFL. I mean, I mean, those plays that Devontae caught, I mean, two or three of them, I mean, he was covered pretty good. I mean, really good. Uh, so those are opportunities you have to take a chance on because chunk plays, if you're struggling offensively, you got to figure out a way to get a chunk play because if you're going to throw this offensive line out there against a better defensive line, team it's going to be very difficult to go 80 yards in 15 plays you know what i mean so somehow you got to get a 20 yard gain a 30 yard gain somewhere somehow and the only way to do that is to take a shot with a possibly covered type receiver uh and it's up to the receiver to get uncovered and make a play and uh maybe get a pass interference call maybe make a catch maybe uh who knows uh but uh give the great players an opportunity yeah no at the end of the day you have those receivers like get the ball in their hands somehow and yeah let them do what they do um to go back to say juice for a quick second so they moved him into the slot this year in part because they wanted to keep kendall fuller on the outside now when you had kendall fuller part of the charm with him was he was really good in the slot and when they brought him back it seemed like 
you know, the slot receivers become more important. And then obviously he would play outside, but could move inside. But this year, I think based off of Fuller played better last year on the outside than he did in the slot, they made this choice to move the six foot three St. Juice, who had only played outside, inside. I don't know if you've been able to notice anything with Fuller, um, but it's, you know, it's like, how do you get your best players on the field and it put them in the best situation? And like, there's some talk this week. Should they move St. Juice outside and move Fuller to the slot? Again, I, I don't know how much you've been noticing Fuller one way or the other in that capacity, but like, what's your view of sort of that with these guys specifically or just in general, um, you know, that sort of idea? Well, I like Fuller uh, in both spots, really, but I really liked him at nickel. Uh, I preferred him at nickel more than outside. I didn't think he ran good enough to be an outside player with some of these speed receivers. I thought he was more of a short area guy. He was very smart. Uh, he could handle a lot of the uh, motion adjustments that needed to be made, the, the, the coverage adjustments that needed to be made. He was a great communicator with everybody. Uh, that's why I liked him in the slot. And he was tough enough to handle uh, if he had to be in the back box in the running game. He was tough enough to get in there and make some tackles. Uh, so that was my preference. But I also liked him because I knew if we had something happen to a corner that he'd go outside and play corner. Uh, I didn't anticipate having to trade him. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So I, I think that's the great thing about Kendall is he can do both. But I think I, I think he'd be better on the inside. And St. Juice obviously proved he's a very good outside corner. I think that might be a good thing moving forward for the defense. Like I said, you didn't anticipate having the trade Fuller since uh, you have said that you just kind of were told that they traded him for uh, Alex Smith. But um, fair, fair, fair enough. Uh, anything else from this game from Washington's perspective uh, that, that stood out to you watching it or just uh, some a, a, oh. any, any thought you had? Well, I think they've got their tails kicked in twice in a row. And uh, and I think it's up to the team, uh, the team leaders to step up and, and do the best they can at practice and really hone in. Uh, it's a huge game for them. It's a division opponent. It's at Dallas. It's a rivalry game, obviously. So they know what's at stake. One and three is a difficult task to overcome. This is a game that they have to have their leaders step up, um, execute the plays, uh, do the best they can, create some turnovers, fly to the ball on defense, and uh, have some fun doing it. So, uh, we'll see how they react. They're either going to go in the tank with their heads down between their legs or they're going to come out swinging and fighting. And I would anticipate Ron will get these guys to fight uh, uh, as hard as they can and get a W this week. Did you watch the uh, Dallas game? I did. That so was. What, uh, I think Dallas, to me, has always been the most underrated defense. Uh, I think Micah Parsons proven out to obviously be the best defensive player in the league other than Aaron Donald. He can argue that all you want to. I've always been a huge fan of uh, Demarcus Lawrence. I think he's a nightmare to deal with in the run game and the pass game, the way they move him around uh, with the stunts. Uh, he, he's powerful. Um, Trayvon Diggs, is, is he he might lack in some cover skills, but he's got the best ball skills at corner, one of the best ball skill corners in the league, so you got to be careful, know where he's at. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, they're a great defense. And uh, Cooper Rush is playing very well. They can run the ball. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a tough game. Did you did you like Cooper Rush? It looks like he'll be the quarterback this week. Is there is there anything you would look at him and think if I'm the defense, if I'm Jack Del Rio, these are some of the things I would look to try to do to slow him down. Well, you got to try to stop the run game somehow. Um, you know, and they haven't been running the ball that effectively, but they do have the threat of run, and they can gash you in the run game. Their offensive line is getting better, uh, so. I think like most young quarterbacks and quarterbacks that are inexperienced, the most important thing is to try to force them into some known passing situations, 
then you can disguise your coverage. You can blitz them. You can uh, do a lot of different things that confuse them, but you have to get them in those situations. A lot of quarterbacks can play when it's second and two and you have a lead at third and three and uh, first and 10 all game. But when it's second and 10 and third and eight, like it was for Washington last week against Philadelphia, it, it's, it's slim pickings out there as far as the play caller is concerned. Gotcha. F- fair, fair enough. Um, well, Jay, I always appreciate the time. I should have asked you since you were there for all day Sunday about what are the, what are some of the other things that stood out to you uh, from from the week, or if there was like a. I always wonder if there's like a play you can see on TV that you're like, oh, let me let me write that down. Let me let me let me make a note of that for myself for uh, for, for for down the road. But uh, I don't know if you did that. But other than that, I I appreciate all the time. You got it. Thank you. Thanks, man. All right. See. You.